Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. The three-day weekend's in sight. You're going to make it. We Shucks, we're all going to make it. And we would love to hear from you this evening. we got a really good show. Some of our favorite regulars are joining us tonight. Professor Corey Brett-Schneider is going to be here to talk about the Supreme Court's very busy week. You heard about today's ruling gutting the Clean Water Act. We're going to get to the bottom of that. Uh, also, how parts of it were voted on by all nine justices, but parts of it were uh, only voted on by five. With Brett Kavanaugh joining the three uh, sane members of the court. Dr. Jason Nichols will be with us later on tonight to talk about DeSantis and the week in politics. Uh, Max Burns will be here to discuss various debt ceiling deals. Our executive producer is Chris Hauselt. Uh, he is running this thing right out of South Carolina. Thea Harper's not with us tonight. Chris, are you doing everything or do you have help? Do, have, have, do you have like people that have been conscripted against their will to help with the production tonight? Uh, yes, we do. We have Matt. Who's doing the Matt is with us tonight. again. Yeah, Welcome, Matt. Yeah. All right. This is how remote hey, work is. We don't even know who's here till we pot. show up. Matt, feel free to jump in anytime. Oh, welcome, Matt. I bet he never gets that. Um, and there's a lot to get to in the news. It's It's been a bit bonkers, my friends. Uh, we welcome you to call in. We have a lot. I'm sorry, but there's a lot to cover tonight between Congress and the president leaving town for the holiday weekend with no deal on the debt ceiling, which is telling us, oh, those motherfuckers get a four-day weekend. Um, we're going to talk about South Carolina's Governor Henry McMaster gleefully signing the state's strict six-week ban on abortions. More than two-thirds of California residents view Senator Dianne Feinstein's current health situation as increasingly problematic. Uh, Joe Biden has tapped Air Force General Charles C.Q. Brown. That's the coolest name, C.Q. Brown. Jesus. I mean, you could you could be a, a pool hustler with that name. You could be a male model. But no, he's the uh, general in the Air Force, and he is now about to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the second African-American to hold that position. We will now see the top civilian and military uh, civilian and military uh, Pentagon personnel for the first time, are both African-American. And following his campaign launch social media disaster, Ron DeSantis, he, he's suggesting pardons for the January 6th criminals to reframe the narrative. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. We're also not going to forget all about disaster last evening. I want to play something really quick on Fox News. Here is RNC chairperson Rana Don't Call Me Romney McDaniel. And I want you to, to appreciate this clip. This is the person in charge of fundraising for the RNC discussing Wall Street's worst nightmare, how fantastic it would be for Republicans if a default on America's debt were to happen. 
And then you look at this debt ceiling crisis, you look at us about to default, and you see that the president took 90 days out from negotiating. He refused to come to the table with Republicans. Republicans have put a plan on the table. And this is an MIA president when it comes to problems <laughs> that the American people are facing, whether it's energy independence, whether it's fentanyl, whether it's a broken border, whether it's crime surging in our streets. This is a president that is failing the American people. So I think that bodes very well for the Republican field. That she sounds great. We got a lot to get to tonight. We'd love to hear from y'all. Let's do a show. We're going to do something we don't normally do. We're going to actually have fake Christian Friday. And before I get to that, Donald Trump's scared. Have you have you noticed how scared he is? Axios was pointing out some of the hypocrisies lately in his attacks against Ron DeSantis. And brother, let me tell you, uh, he is really going after Ron DeSantis. I want to play another clip. This is Trump who has wasted no time, day one, for a brand new Ron DeSantis attack ad. The Washington established politicians like to talk about how they can be just like Donald Trump. The truth, there's only one Donald Trump. Thank God. Only one who gave us the largest tax cuts in history. Millionaire at birth with a gold toilet talking about elite. stood up to China and protected what? your job. What? Only one what? who kept us out of endless wars while destroying our terrorist enemies. What? Only one Assassination. fundamentally changed the Supreme Court was called the most pro-life president in history and relentlessly protected our Second Amendment All right, rights. You, you get the idea, right? And you get the borders. idea. So Trump, Trump has a new video, uh, and in this ad he put today, he blasts DeSantis for closing Florida's beaches in the early days of the pandemic. He's going to use anything against this guy, right? The only problem is it was Donald Trump's White House that gave the federal guidance at the time, encouraging all the social distancing. But that's not all. Uh, Axios was pointing out some of these earlier on today where, where Trump's policies are just becoming collateral in his war on Rhonda. Donald Trump has criticized DeSantis for having the six-week abortion ban. He says that's too harsh at the same time, he's running around taking credit, like you just heard, for the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade or the entitlements. The MAGA Inc. Super PAC has have all these ads attacking DeSantis because he voted to cut Social Security. He voted to cut Medicare and he favored a national sales tax. Trump has supported all of those three things at different times. And the new ad they put out today was mocking Rhonda for hosting donors at the Uber Elite Four Seasons Resort in Miami. I mean, Donald Trump literally owns an Uber Elite Resort in South Florida. It's one thing to be a flip flopper, but it's another thing to be this level of a hypocrite. And yet and yet we're in a whole new frontier, brothers and sisters, where being a revolting hypocrite like black and white, bald-faced hypocrite, doesn't matter anymore. Donald Trump can accuse Ron DeSantis of everything Donald Trump ever did, and Donald Trump supporters don't care about the hypocrisy, and neither does the Republican Party that pretends to be embarrassed by Donald Trump. This is way beyond flip-flopping. I mean, last night, uh, DeSantis promised on Fox News that he would fire FBI Director Christopher Wray on day one. As soon as I'm president, day one, I'm going to fire him. Trump right away tweeted out a screenshot of DeSantis from six years ago, praising Christopher Ray, calling him talented, capable and highly respected. OK, well, that, good dig. You owned him. The only problem was DeSantis's tweet from 2017 calling Christopher Ray talented, capable and highly respected was responding to a Trump tweet. 
that was announcing he was nominating Ray. And he called Ray a man of impeccable credentials. So literally, (laughs) the tweet of DeSantis praising Ray that Trump's using against him was a response to a Trump tweet praising Ray and Trump's campaign cropped out the Trump part from the graphic. This is what he's doing. He attacks his own people. He attacks Mike Pence. He attacks Bill Barr. He attacks Mick Mulvaney. He attacked Jeff Sessions. So Trump's having a bad week. You can tell that he's starting to crack. But also... Also, I'm going to talk about Professor this with Professor Brechtenheiter later. Stuart Rhodes is going to jail for a lot longer than any of us thought. He's the founder of the Oath Keepers Militia, and he just got sentenced to 18 years. And you know what he was convicted of? Yeah, seditious conspiracy for his role in the terrorist attack of January 6th. And Judge Amit Mehta, whoa, I wish I could get that. I, I wish we had the audio of this. I wish we could sample this to beats and make it a rap track. You, sir, present an ongoing threat and a peril to this country and to the Republicans, the very fabric of this democracy. This is the longest January 6th related sentence yet. I mean, he said treason has been determined to be the appropriate analog. This is a judge. This is entered into the court record. There is precedent now to charge anyone else with seditious conspiracy because there are substantially guilty verdicts. Judge Mader ruled that his actions were domestic terrorism. He talked about how the rioters enticed by Rhodes attacked the Capitol during the Democratic transfer of power. And he said, you are not a political prisoner. (laughs) This guy Rhodes, he was comparing himself to Solzhenitsyn and saying he was like in a Soviet gulag. So Judge Maida said, you are not a political prisoner. You are not here for your beliefs. You stand convicted because 12 jurors found you guilty of sedition. That was a jury of your peers. Make no mistake about it. Oh, and by the way, Ron DeSantis went on a radio show and said that uh, if he was elected, he'd consider pardoning January 6th defendants on a case-by-case basis. And Donald Trump said he's inclined to pardon many of the people convicted. You think they'll pardon Stuart Rhodes? Are, are these jackasses dumb enough to make Stuart Rhodes their latest martyred folk hero with his 18-year conviction? I hope they do. Let's talk about Stuart Rhodes and make him and his conviction very famous. But no, let's, let's, let's really quickly talk about Fake Christian Friday. Um, we talked earlier in the week about this report from the Attorney General of Illinois that named more than 450 credibly accused sexual abusers including priests and lay religious brothers in the diocese with the abuse of over 1,900 minors over a course of decades. More than four times the number the church had publicly disclosed five years ago when the state began their investigation. A 696-page report that clergy members had abused at least 1,997 kids since 1950. So let's attack Target. (laughs) Here's the hypocrisy right now. And this is taking over your social media. You're seeing it all over the news. Boycott Target. Pride Month hasn't even started yet. But all these corporate brands are taking fire because they are capitalist marketing towards the LBGTQ community. Don't forget, it's not just fake Christian. It's fake capitalism. They're going after corporations for marketing to marginalized groups. Like they, a generation ago, these folks would have hated Woolworths for having ads with black faces in them. They're calling it Bud Lighting. And the strategy is we're going to crush any businesses, any private businesses that aren't hateful to gay people by calling them woke and calling for boycotts over everything from Adidas swimwear to North Face because they had an ad with a drag queen. And so people are posting these videos all over social media, attacking LGBTQ pride displays in Target stores and attacking employees 
in Target stores. The company had to have an emergency meeting, and they decided to actually remove some of the Pride merchandise or move it so it's less visible in stores. That's how scary it is. And you can see all over the place. And it's all these men. Oh, my God. And they're all just revolting looking. They're all just fat fucking slobs. And it's hideous people who are going and chopping up merchandise and committing vandalism. And they're saying they're doing this because they're so Christian. It's so disgusting. And now the conservatives are all loving it. And they're all piling on. Our goal is to make pride toxic for brands, Matt Walsh said. Let's keep it going. And, of course, they're going after Target because they are with uh, the, the designer Ab Prowlin, which they say is Satanist. Um, and why is it Satanist? Because they sell a T-shirt with a snake that says, cure transphobia, not trans people. So hundreds of bills are targeting LGBTQ people right now. Transgender people. Minorities. LGBT people are not just minorities. They are minorities within every minority. And Republicans, exclusively Republicans exclusively conservatives because it's always conservatives of both parties who have been the bigots in our country's history a generation ago it was conservative democrats and republicans a hundred years ago it was mostly conservative democrats attacking marginalized people ron DeSantis elevates this with his woke words and his gender transition care bans Performative cruelty to let the bigots know he's running for president, not realizing what a stupid way that is to get swing state voters and independents. And this all began in April when this trans per person on Instagram, Dylan Mulvaney, posted a video to her Instagram about, about this Bud Light March Madness contest that had a, a, a can with her face on it, their face on it. I don't know how Dylan Mulvaney identifies. So if you're a pronoun person, I'm sorry. I I empathize with your pronouns. I don't dig that myself, but whatever. I'm all into just using whatever words people feel respected by. Um, so because of this, you know, they sent a gift to a trans influencer because Bud is trying to get different people to drink their beer because that's what smart capitalism does. And all of this would be fine. All of this would be okay by me as long as they didn't pretend to be Christian. Here's why it's fake Christian Friday. Here's my hang up. There's this guy, Sean Foyt. Is that, that's how it's pronounced, right? F-E-U-C-H-T. He's becoming very, very famous. Uh, he got famous during the lockdown as being an anti-lockdown Christian minister, country rocker, dude bro. He does, you've seen his tapes all over, his clips on YouTube and on, on Twitter where he's praising Christian nationalism. He's hard right, he's Trumper. There was a rumor last week that he's dating Lauren Boebert and that's the reason she divorced and they've denied that. But like, you know, that's conceivable, right? Like he's in that world. And I went to his website because I'm a thinker. And I saw his video where he was talk, saying why we have to, in the name of Jesus, boycott Target for their satanic things they're doing by be, being, being nice to LGBT people is the satanic act he's talking about. And he tweeted tonight, looking for scripture to back up the Target boycott? He quotes Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Jesus, these frauds, they'll never quote Jesus. You know... <laughs> Okay, so here's the deal. You ready? Shall, shall we do this? Shall we talk about this? First off, Sean Foyt. There's a whole article in Rolling Stone about him. He's a grifter. He's made millions off of this. Right wing, fake Christian, uses Jesus's name, waves Jesus around like a ragdoll prop, and then defecates and uses the ragdoll prop as his toilet paper. That's this guy's MO. And I apologize for that imagery, because if you, you know, it's not about LGBT people. Ephesians, this passage he's quoting, Paul talks about sexual immorality, but not gay people. And this dude 
kneels at the altar of Donald Trump. Okay, here's the deal, folks. You can't quote Bible verses against gay people that call out sexual immorality while you endorse grab him by the pussy. It's really simple. If you vote to be president, a man who calls women pieces of ass, you get to sit what we call the fuck down during Bible lesson. It's not about gay people. Christ never said a goddamn thing against gay people. Christ never said a goddamn thing against transgender people. And I talk about this a lot. I'm not going to bore you with it. I could I, I could tell you for days all the stories that you could use to argue Jesus was compassionate towards gay people. But Christ commands in Matthew 25 about the goats and the sheep, where he talks about however you treated the least of these is how you treated me. Here's all you have to say to your transphobic cousin or aunt. Jesus commands we treat trans people the same way we treat him. And they're all still going by Leviticus, the one part of the Bible where God allegedly says to Moses, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. It's been translated hundreds of times over the years from Hebrew to Aramaic and Greek and Latin and English, hundreds of revisions. And Jesus, of course, brought a new covenant so Christians don't follow Leviticus. That's the part of the Bible that says you have to stone children to death if they're gluttons or drunks. That's the part of the Bible that says you have to stone people to death if they work on a Saturday. Bye-bye, NASCAR. That's the part of the Bible that says you have to stone people to death if they cut their hair at the temples or tattoo the flesh. That says women are unclean when they're menstruating. That's the part of the Bible... I, I could go on, right? Like, they don't follow it. You can't mix fibers. You can't eat shellfish. You can't have bacon. You can't have bacon, you rat bastards. You can't be a homophobe and claim Jesus tells you and eat bacon. God damn you people. Don't make me explain this more than once. You know, if we could just get the Christians to read the Bible, this might all go away. But, you know, education's not going to help us. So none of you bacon eaters obey Leviticus. So it's hypocritical and shitty to use it against gay people. They're free to be homophobes. Okay, here's the deal. All of y'all boycott target fake Christians. Y'all are free to be homophobes in the U.S. Hate marginalized people. Make their lives as hard as possible. Take a good hard look at the suicide rates for transgender teenagers and get up in the morning and do all your black heart can to drive those numbers higher. Hate. Hate like your Messiah, the fat, racist, landlord, reality TV lech from Queens taught you to hate. Just don't pretend to be Christian. You're not. Okay? Go off and play with your little friends. Be a bigot, but be ready to be called out when you use non-homophobe Jesus as your spiritual camouflage. Jesus commands us to treat the least of us as we would treat him. You can't support Donald Trump and be a Jesus follower. It's not possible. Okay, try reading the Gospels. Jesus, and I'm going to say this now, I'm going to say this more than once. Jesus is always on the side of the marginalized people we shit on. And to atheist listeners, I'm really sorry for talking tabernacles. I know you all hate when I do this. I know. I believe in you. It's all good. But as I always try to point out, you don't have to believe in the Bible to thump Bible thumpers with the Bible. My favorite alliances are between groovy Christians who are progressive and groovy atheists who are progressive and are looking out for the little guy. So again, let me just quote the Bible one more time. Um, God said this in Genesis 9. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. All living creatures of every kind, homophobes. Even the ones you can't stop fucking with. And by the way, uh, I, I, conservatives quote Paul in Ephesians more than they quote Jesus. And you'll notice this. 
Right-wingers quote Paul all the time. They never quote Jesus because Paul was more conservative than Jesus. But Galatians, Paul's letter to Galatians 3.28 covers why transphobia isn't Christian. That's where Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. Neither male nor female. Gender doesn't matter when it comes to Jesus. Homophobia in all its forms remains the opposite of what the homeless brown-skinned Nazarene taught. And people who vote for Donald Trump shouldn't pretend they care about what Jesus taught. And I want to leave you with this. Uh, one of our listeners, peace out, wrote me the nicest thing on Twitter. Uh, hey, John, most people that use the Bible to denounce homosexuality haven't a clue what they are talking about. I used to think God messed up and made me inferior or broken till I read it. Now I know God made me perfect for the work he had in store for me. That is peace out, I sin. And thank you for that. Uh, you gave me a lot of hope and faith today. Conservative Christianity never does. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. It's time once again for Barely Legal with Corey Brechneider, the professor with a PhD in politics from Princeton and a law degree from Stanford, a man who uses his considerable superpowers to enrich the minds in the poli-sci department at Brown University. You should own the professor's book, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. Um, please buy it. it. It is a textbook for the soul. Also, his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. And of course, you can read his stuff all over in Time and Newsweek and the New York Times. Professor Corey Brett Schneider, welcome back to SiriusXM. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure to, to speak with you. Always a pleasure to have you, to sir. You, you consistently go after the law and the court with compassion and guts, and I'm going to need you to talk me off a ledge because before we even <laughs> get to what happened today, before we even get to what happened today at the court with um, the Clean Water Act, I, I, I want to play a really quick clip from Chief Justice Roberts the other night speaking at this event honoring him. 
And he was reflecting on all the dramas unfolding around his Supreme Court. And it really seems like this man, who is an aristocrat, I think it's fair to say he's lived in his entire life in private prep schools and Harvard and uh, among the elite. And his wife raked in $10 million off of law firms. We now know of law firms presenting cases before him. And he didn't think he had to mention that. Um, It really seems like he and the other right wingers feel they are the real victims. I just want to play this and and get your response. I, I was stunned at how out of touch and in a bubble of lifelong privilege this man seems to be. Judge heckled and shouted down at a law school protesters outside the homes of justices to the extent that martial protection is needed 24-7. In 18 years, I asked, what was the hardest thing, what was the hardest decision I had to make in 18 years? Was it this First Amendment case? Was it that death penalty case? Was it some major separation of powers case? None of those. The hardest decision I had to make was whether to erect fences and barricades around the Supreme Court. I had no choice but to go ahead and do it. But while it was going on, while the fences were going up, I kept hearing Charles Evans Hughes's remarks at the um, opening of the Supreme Court building. He said, the Republic endures, and this is the symbol of its faith. Um, that was the toughest decision he ever had to make. That was what he struggled with the most. This guy boasts of his Catholicism, a church that is against the death penalty. No problem ruling to execute people. No problem ruling for labor against management. No problem ruling for the haves against the half-nots here in my deep Catholic faith. But, ooh, when I had to decide to put a fence up around the Supreme Court? I don't know, Corey, am I overreacting? I was stunned by this. No. No, I think that's exactly right. You know, this... this, uh, Chief Justice presents himself as a moderate, and, you know, he's had the audacity to claim that he's just participating in a court that's calling balls and strikes, <laughs> you know, not yeah. too long before they reversed the longstanding right to abortion, before they uh, began their assault on the ability to make laws, really, to have environmental policy, you know, which we'll talk about later. Um, uh, and, you know, to me, he's no moderate at all. He's part of the ideological attack that we're seeing on our basic rights and our fundamental democracy, the ability to, to, to make laws. Uh, and what is he concerned about? He's concerned about his own victimhood. And, you know, that's what marks modern conservatism, I think, is the idea that I'm being victimized by the left, by the liberals, by the people out right. to get me. When the world is falling apart around us, and rather than caring right. about that, caring about yourself and your most immediate circumstances, basic security for the Supreme Court is nothing compared to the assault on our democracy and our rights. And yet there you have it. It's like he's just consumed with how badly he's been treated and That's how it. badly his fellow conservatives have been treated. And uh, that just marks it all as a lie. This neutralism was always fake and embarrassing. And, but the more um, the more their corruption has been exposed. Oh, go ahead, please go ahead. The victimology. That's it. The more their corruption has been exposed, Professor, the more we have physical evidence that these men are 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 compromised ethically in right. the workplace, in a workplace right. where they have no real oversight, and we, the people, and our elected representatives have no real means of sanctioning them for corruption. If a third of the Senate doesn't think they should be sanctioned, so we have no way to go against them. And in the light of all of this. He's playing victim because we're saying mean things about them. 
Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I think that what we're talking about is is great evidence that, that he's got that victim mentality. But I'll go back to a second to the Boston strikes because you know, especially as I was saying it, I was thinking about how grotesque that is. It's Tell actually me. this sort of pose as a moderate that to me is the most offensive because while he's doing exactly, and I you know, unfortunately you're not exaggerating, I mean, it really is an assault that we have very little power. We have to figure out what we could do. I mean, we have. We do have some power, but it's not an easy lift to figure out how to overcome them. Uh, yeah. And he's claiming that, that they're not doing anything but just telling us what the law is. And that's a complete lie. And that, that, to me, is the most insulting thing about him. That And it's just compounded by this, what, narcissism that you see in these remarks from yesterday. It's stunning. I mean, I mean, like he, he they've stripped women of their biological autonomy. Right. They've stripped women of their constitutional federal right to health care choices and sovereignty over their bodies. And yet he felt bad that he had to put up a fence around. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's, why, it's why, fair why, to call. I think it's fair to call him an extremist. He just, we call him a moderate because next to Scalia, he looks like a moderate. But next right. to Scalia, Rasputin looks like a moderate. This guy's an extremist. Right. And he's, a, you know, he's enabled this court in moderate clothing. And in a way, I think this, the fake moderation has just made it easier for them. He's, what he's really doing with his so, so-called moderation is trying to find ways of making the right wing of the court's uh, agenda seem palatable. And, you know, in that, in that sort of role, he's, he's more pernicious, maybe. At least we know with Justice Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch what we're getting. And with him, he's masking it. And so in a way, I think he's actually the most dangerous member of the court. By the way, what is the so terrible about building the fence? I guess it's the fact that you would need to, that there's a security threat. But that's not surprising for any public official. It's somehow the indignity, I think, the aesthetic that the Supreme Court will have a fence around it that he doesn't like because it symbolizes the idea that people are really not happy with the Supreme Court and that that indignity to his moderation to his well his uh you know his judicial robes i think that's what he's most offended by and, and that shows how out of touch he is with with what he's really doing which is an unprecedented radical assault on everything that's been built in this democracy over the last you know since since the civil rights era since the 1960s yeah and and again he, I, I think in a way he's actually very brilliant because the reason we have this image of John Roberts as the thoughtful moderate is that's right. what he's pushed. That's been his rep that he has carefully cultivated for 18 years on the court, especially as the court has gone more hard right. But at this point, it's fair to say that this guy who's talking about what a thoughtful moderate he is, is really there to legalize corruption when he won't even respond to a subpoena before Congress to talk about the evidence, physical evidence of corruption on his court, how can we say this guy's not trying to normalize or legalize corruption on the court? Yeah, if all he was doing was calling balls and strikes like he claims, he'd have no problem showing up and and explaining, oh, it's all a misunderstanding, we're just interpreting the law in a way that I can explain to you. Of course, that's not what's going on. It's that he's enabling, you know, the deep corruption that's rotting away at our democracy, which are the decisions. And then, of course, the personal corruption of people like Justice Thomas, who he refuses to hold to account. And I, he doesn't want to answer questions about either of those those mm. two. And it gives a lie to the idea that he is somehow a moderate. I'll say something, too, about his preferred approach. He did differ from uh, Justice Alito. I think he didn't want the 
this sort of reporting and inside baseball suggests uh, that he really didn't want to reverse Roe versus Wade, but he did want to kill abortion by you know, a thousand cuts to just That's it. allow you know more and more restrictions slowly without ever announcing it. And to me, you know, I'll go back to my point, I think in a way that's more pernicious because it was yeah. a way of trying to, you know, avoid the headlines. Let's say Roe versus Wade is reversed and do it anyway. And in a way, I'm glad that he didn't succeed at that because it's become more transparent what this court is doing than it might have otherwise. You know, he would have relied on his legal ease to say, oh, people are misunderstanding. Roe is still the law. I affirm Roe. It is an important precedent of the United States. Uh, Supreme Court, but we're we're distinguishing from all these laws that we're allowing. They're they're not reversals of Roe. That kind of nonsense, I, I think, really would have been more dangerous than yeah. the the ripping off the band aid that we got. Because at least now we know what we're up against. Well, let's talk about one of the things we're up against with this court, uh, which is today's ruling, where they cut back the power of the Environmental Protection Agency mm-hmm. to be able to regulate America's wetlands and waterways. Uh, which is another way of saying, hey, polluters, you bought us. Here's your investment returned. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I really want to talk to you about it. Uh, I have some dumb questions about how the ruling was decided as well. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like this is the Supreme Court that the aristocrat class has purchased. And polluters will now be so happy to know that they've changed the word adjacent to adjoining wetlands subject to the Clean Water Act. And that's pretty much means many marshes and swamps are now open for destruction. This completely undermined the EPA. It's really going to hurt our environment. Uh, It's going to make the Federalist Society who picks all these people happy. But they just pretty much undid Congress, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, I love that way of putting it. And, and before we get into the details of, of the case, which I'm e- eager to do, I want to say something about the general trend that this is part of in, in this area of law. So we're talking about the interpretation now, not of the Constitution, but of statutes, laws passed by Congress, and in this case, the Clean Water Act. And what their agenda, the, the majority of the court, unfortunately, their agenda is to undo lawmaking. That's really how I would put it. Congress has the ability to make law. Uh, the president's supposed to enforce the laws and the court's supposed to interpret them. Uh, but what they're really engaged in, I think, is an assault on the ability of Congress, as it has over the past few decades, to make laws that have certain goals, like uh, environmental protection. Now, how are they going right. to do that? They can't just say, oh, we don't like Congress. We don't like lawmaking. Uh, that would be too obvious an assault on, on democracy. So the way that they do it is they narrow the text of these specific statutes, like the Clean Water Act, so narrowly that they can't accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. And they take a, a page from Justice Scalia. They say, we can't think about the intent of the law. We just have to look at its text, the words that were written. That's right. And if yeah. Congress didn't, you know, do a great job and expressing its intent and the words, if there was a drafting error, for instance, too bad. Uh, we're going to hold it. them to that. That's, that's it. The They're strategy. playing semantic games. Elena Kagan let him have it on this. She just, she said they cannot rewrite Congress's plain instructions because they go further than the right wing justices want. She she said that their move right. was uh, the court's appointment of itself as the national decision maker on environmental policy. Yeah. Yeah, and they look here for for words, basically, that, you know, they can construe in a way that undermines the true meaning, the purpose of the law. 
And, you know, they'll, they'll do that when, when, when it comes on this case, in, in particular, about whether or not some part of wetlands are covered, that they, they tried to claim that, that the text requires that there be, you know, a continuous connection between the wetlands. Right. Uh, you know, and despite the idea that obviously the purpose of the law is to protect the environment more broadly, and this word continuous maybe was, the, uh, you know, or this idea of continuous wetlands, they, they can find tax or joining or whatever the text is that they're finding to mm-hmm. undermine the purpose, that, that's what they're going to do. They're going to pick and choose these terms, literally words, and look at dictionary meanings in order to narrow the statute so much that it, it, it doesn't apply more broadly and think of the think of what we're that's kagan's point we're talking about environmental protection they don't like it so that's why they're engaged unless she calls them out perfectly for it perfectly they're just rewriting the laws and usurping the role of congress right i I need now professor this is the part of the show we always get to this part this is the part (laughs) where professor cory brett schneider explains something to me like i'm a six-year-old child are you ready okay i love it a lot of people are saying this was a 5-4 decision Every conservative is saying this was a 9 nothing unanimous decision. And so I've been trying to actually get the semantics on this right. Uh, I, I, the court ruling against the EPA was with a five-justice majority opinion, but it was 9 nothing, I believe, that thought the EPA had overstepped. Can you explain to me how it can be 5-4 and 9-0 at the same time? Well, the you know, there are different parts of an opinion, so... right. Why question is about the holding or the, the main decision, and my understanding there is that there was a split, but there'll be issues that come up within, you know, within a case, for instance, whether the EPA or, or any agency acted improperly that might not be at the core here. And so I take it, I have to look more closely at the case, but that there are some issues that the court's unanimous on and some that they're split, but the, the main issue I, was uh, that we've been talking about about the coverage of these wetlands. I take it they were, they were, they were split on. Right. I mean, so that's not unusual. Odd... It's that that there's right. some. You know, you usually have agreement about something, <laughs> and that's not. That doesn't take away from the fact that this is a deeply ideologically yeah. driven court. Kavanaugh joined the three uh, more liberal justices on the court, and my understanding it was to hold that federal regulated waters like don't have to have a permanent surface connection to a navigable waterway, but it just somewhere seems like they, they are curtailing the EPA's ability to regulate wetlands. And that was five to four. But from what I understand, the, the decision to side with the property owners was nine, nothing, but that's on different mm-hmm. grounds than just gutting the clean water act. So uh, w- mm-hmm. what's right. It, are we correct in saying it was unanimous? Or are we correct in saying it was five, four? I think you would just describe it the way that you did, that 5-4 on... <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, on, on one issue and, and 9-0 on, on another. I haven't read the opinion in depth. I'll get back to you next week and give you the, the, the details. But I think the 5-4 part, that to me, is the more important. And it is interesting that Kavanaugh is not with the traditional conservatives on this. I guess he's trying to carve out, as Gorsuch did in the Bostock opinion, um, about whether transgender couples were protected uh, under the Civil Rights Act, the, you know, sort of own space to show they each need a moment to say, I'm not an ideologue. And, right. and I guess he's maybe picked environmental protection as his issue. Um, but, you know, to, to me, um, the real issue is about whether or not they're curbing the power of Congress to basically make laws and the, the, the power that they've already used to make the law 
uh, broadly protecting our clean water. Right. Uh, and, you know, that that's what I think you've got five votes on is, is on the deeper policy issue. Uh, whether or not, you know, there's some more specific question that, that they've agreed on, I think is besides the point. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I, I, I do want to ask you one last question before I lose you, Corey. And I wish you a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Um, but you, there was a tweet of yours from a few months Thanks. ago that I went and dug up today because I thought of this tweet when I was watching Ron DeSantis or listening Ron DeSantis or not listening to Ron DeSantis <laughs> announce his campaign. You tweeted <laughs> a couple Kill months Alma ago. Complain about his staff. <laughs> yeah. You said in some ways you tweeted this like February. In some ways, DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump. This is a person with the legal understanding to achieve much of what Trump was too ignorant to accomplish you found a way to freak me out Corey. uh what do you think <laughs> now and and how are you viewing his his chances of this great pro-torture legal guantanamo bay mind entering the presidential race i mean there's no doubt that 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 is his danger that he's uh much more savvy than trump when it comes to the law he has this desire to expand the power of the executive and he knows how to do it in a way that i think trump would have wanted to but really was too clueless to be able to overcome staff around him. I think DeSantis wouldn't really be intimidated by um, civil servants or by his immediate staff. Yeah. Uh, so all that's quite frightening. I mean, the thing about Trump is that he's totally unhinged. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that 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 is a different kind of threat. I mean, I think DeSantis's chances are extremely good because I think the more indictments are coming against Trump. And as much as the right a uh, certain wing of the party is going to try to rally around him, saying that these are all, um, you know, false operations and attempts yeah. to take him down. When we hear about the Smith case in particular and what he was doing with these documents and showing them to people, charges under the Espionage Act, that, that might be a bridge too far for, right on. Uh, if not his core supporters for some. So, yeah, I think the census has a still has a good chance at this, despite this absolutely disastrous uh, roll out. And uh, despite the Thank fact you, that, Corey. as Trump says, he has no personality. <laughs> and Trump would know. Professor Corey Brechneider, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Follow the professor at Brechneider C and pick up a copy of The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. Thank you so much, Corey. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Sirius XM. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Let's go to the phones. Joe in Wisconsin, thank you so much for your patience on hold. Hey, thank you very much, John. Hey, to piggyback on your Jesus talk, yes. I've got a song. It'll oh my. be done in a minute and a half. 
Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. You... Jesus was a hippie. A rolling stone and gypsy. He met a chick named Mary. She drove old Jesus crazy. So one day he said, baby, let's make love, love, love every day. Well, Jesus was a talker. Some say he walked on water. He pushed his magic potion. Good loving and devotion. Well, it caused a big commotion, preaching love, love, love every day. Third verse. Well, the day he'd be a star. (laughs) Seventh verse. He'd play a mean guitar. He'd wave his freak flag high. I don't remember these parts of the Bible. Old hippies never die. Is this guy's name Jesus? They just keep getting high, singing love, love, love every day. There you go. Groovy, groovy. Wow, thank you. Very nice. Oh, um, nice. Wow. I, I, that, that, fantastic. Good vocal, good guitar playing. I don't know how you balance know. the phone. Uh, I appreciate the liberties you take with the sacred text. Um, I don't know if you're talking about Jesus or Peter Fonda. <laughs> yeah, are you talking about, is that song about Peter Fonda? Because it actually reminded me a lot. He, I knew Peter Fonda. That song reminds me a lot of him. Uh, he, he, I worked, he made I love to lots of women named Mary. Catholic Church. What's that? What's that? <laughs> I was a music director at a Catholic church for 15 years, and wow. those are one of the songs they wouldn't let me play. <laughs> You're kidding. Really? Wow. Was it because it's none of it appears in Scripture? I enjoyed it very much. I should say, I... No, the only place Jesus makes love to Mary Magdalene is in uh, a Martin Scorsese movie. Um of the yeah, last invasion of Christ. But no, no, it was I was dynamite. I liked it. Do you so you ascribe more to the hippie Jesus who's all about love than the fire and brimstone sin sin hell hell Jesus that doesn't actually exist? Uh, obviously, yes. Right yeah. on, man. Yeah. Right on. Paul love I, it. I got no I got no patience for Paul. Yeah, right? I mean, come on, Jesus is like the liberal celebrity and Paul is the conservative PR guy for the liberal celebrity with a lot of hang-ups that the liberal celebrity doesn't have. That's why conservative people always quote Paul and they never know it. You notice that? You you, you probably notice this in church. They always it's think they're quoting Jesus. Yeah. Is that, you say, is yeah, that, yeah, you'll say, quote, where, where does Jesus say this? And they'll, they always quote Paul. Go is ahead. that Harry Dean Stanton? Is that, no. who that, is that who that is in that movie? Yes, Harry Dean Stanton plays Paul. Oh, yeah. that's right. We didn't even talk about this. Chris just watched. Chris just watched Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ for the first time. He was only thirty-five years late, and he watched it. And yeah. um, it's a pretty. It's a. It, it's worth watching. It's worth watching more than once. I've been. I've I, seen it over ten times. I don't know if it's good yet, but I've seen it many times. I know it's I great. Lo- I don't know if it's good. I, I liked it. I grew up surrounded by the. Uh, controversy of that movie but watching it now as a full-blown adult uh i don't understand why it was so salacious i remember being a kid and when jesus christ superstar came out my parents and my cousins and everybody was freaking out really 
See, my parents yeah. loved it. My parents That's were totally great. into Superstar. My parents took me to see Godspell. And I'm sorry, Superstar and Godspell turned more people on to Jesus than organized mm-hmm. religion in the last 40 years. And I will say this, I will believe this till my dying day, because Superstar and Godspell had better music. And and Jesus isn't a dick in either of those. <laughs> just, to, just to show you how times, I think, changed. You know, I, when I was in high school in the 90s, uh, I went to a Catholic high school, and we did Jesus Christ Superstar as our spring musical. Amazing. And our, Ju- and our Judas was a, a woman, a girl. That's awesome. Just oh, I she love had, that story. Oh. She had the pipes. She had yeah, the, man. You would have to yeah. have the pipes. Ooh. Well, Judas is the star. I mean, Judas, you, you watch the original yeah. movie, and I saw the actors in the movie do it on stage in the 90s. They brought out, you know, Ted Neely and Carl Anderson, and they were like, they were like in their late 60s, still playing Jesus and Judas. But, man... Yeah. Uh, I prefer just, just, the the album version with Ian Gillian. So do I. That's so do I. That's that. That everyone that. does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in Superstar hey, when I was a kid. Thank you Go for ahead. letting me play that, John. Oh, thank you for playing you're, it. You're a classy guy. I really enjoyed one. it. I okay. <laughs> I right. really liked it. And listen, it, that 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 song you you could you could probably if you really applied yourself if you really worked mm-hmm. on it you could get excommunicated for that. So let yeah. me know how it plays out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Okay. Thanks, man. Peace. Thanks for, thanks for calling. Don't ever call Wasn't again. That, no, that was great. He can call anytime he wants. What is up with everybody singing into our phones this week? We've had I like a, an same, unplugged it's concert. Guy. No, it's not. We've had three different guys sing to us, two of them playing guitar. I think that person was playing guitar last night, and I think that person was a guy. But I'm not sure about either one of those things. But we, a lot of people, normally this is like an open mic. It's nice to have it be the coffee house for your singer-songwriter special. Linda in Iowa, how are you? John, oh, it's like I'm going to start to cry because if you're talking oh, about Godspell and, and Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, remember when Pope John Paul came to Iowa in Des Moines and they flew him to, we had this wonderful natural farm heritage site and they played that from Godspell. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed yeah. on the land. Do you it's remember that? Song. Yeah, it's my favorite song in the whole album. And um, when you were talking about the water quality in the... Um, the uh, Supreme Court decision. John, maybe you can consider getting this author. He just authored a new book. He swears it's pretty soon going to be banned on Chris Reynolds and, or Kim, Kim Reynolds and Ron DeSantis' book list. It's called The Swine Republic. And the it's the truth about agriculture and water quality. He is, you know what uh, they pitched us? They, they, they pitched us this book, I think. Oh, they did. They did. I think they pitched us this book, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would really encourage you to have him on because um, he's talking all about how, you know, our our small state with its wonderful farmlands just being ripped apart with the water pollution, the nitrate pollution from the factory farms and all the pesticides and the chemicals that are put on our farmland. That's right. So, um, so anyway, I wanted to put that plug in for Iowa. And then another thing, oh, John, I can't. They, By the way, that's the, Chris Jones is the author, right? Chris Jones is his name? Yeah, Chris Jones is yeah, the author. Yeah, I'm going to try and get He's him on. The Swine Republic. Safe here. Swine Republic. Although, I, 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 I'm going to call it Schweinen because my German comes out. But go on, please. Tell me your next book. Okay, right. Well, the other thing, too, um, recently they passed um, legislation regarding what what topics of sexuality could and could not be put in Iowa school children's books. 
John, by the time I was reading that list, I thought I needed to take a cold shower. They were talking. <laughs> I can't even. I, I can't even describe this on the air to you because I'm too much of a lady. But it was talking about what goes in what orifices, what couldn't go in what orifices. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting. It just, it just was horrible. What was this? Um, they well, they the legislature specifically said what could be considered uh, pornographic. Pornography, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've, and I've I seen, mean... Yeah, how to have gay sex in a comic book for kids. I've seen it on, all over Twitter. I, is it is it real? Is it legit? And how? what was the age that that book is designed for? Do we know? Oh, oh I, I don't even think it was a book. It was just, they were going step by step like what books could not be... Well, anyway, I don't even want to get into it. Just It was kind of like, remember years ago, the Supreme Court were talking about all the um, pornography or all the por- pornographic terms or what the obscenity clause, all that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this uh, Iowa legislature uh, was talking about, too. And it was just disgusting. But I want to tell you one lighter note, and then I will I will uh, take myself off the air, John. But okay. um, I, I work at a preschool in Illinois, and I came in last week, and we have a three, three-year-old little boy. They have costumes they can dress up in. Well, he was mm-hmm. prancing around in a ballerina costume. Oh, no. Oh, no. Who's going to pay for that? Oh, no. This is Illinois. Who can we cancel Illinois for that? Is... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he just was doing that. And I just came in. I said to the staff, well, it's good we're not, it's good we're not in Iowa. They couldn't do that in Iowa. But it was, you know, nobody thought anything of it. <laughs> Listen here, mister. We don't take too kindly to your gender nonconformity around these parts. Yeah, I know, I know how it is. I know how it is. Hey, I got to go, Linda, but I thank you so very much for the call and for recommending that guest. Okay. Thank you. Bye, John. Thank you. We will be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is SiriusXM Progress. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying. We are always thrilled anytime we can find a way to sucker, cajole, or hoodwink Max Burns into coming back on our show. He is a Public Relations Society of America, award-winning Democratic strategist and political columnist, and you've read his stuff in the Daily Beast, News Nation, and NBC News. Mr. Burns, welcome back, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you and your family. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm, you know, like everyone else, wondering, should I be terrified about the debt ceiling, or is that just what the government wants me to be? I'm like, can I enjoy my Memorial Day weekend, or or do I have to be as scared as the media seems to want me to be? How are you? I think a lot of people feel that way right now, and they're they're pretty clearly calling their members of Congress because the, the tone on this has changed drastically just in the last 24 hours. And it now seems like Kevin McCarthy's getting ready to give up just about everything. So it, it seems like Kevin McCarthy may not have the happiest Memorial Day, but Joe Biden may be, be riding into the holidays with a win. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Joe Biden has been curiously confident this entire time. And as the Democrats have gotten angry and the progressives have gotten mad at him and the media is beating up on him and the Republicans certainly passed their stupid little bill we all laughed at. But then they've been able to say, look, we all agreed on something, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you know, does it seem more likely that the deal has already been reached and it's just going to be enough little tiny spending cuts that Kevin McCarthy can brag to his troglodyte friends? It, it certainly sounds like there's a deal in the works. I mean, Kevin McCarthy went into this with essentially three pillars to his 
argument. One was no tax hikes. The other was across the board cuts, no exceptions. And the last one was it has to be supported by the majority of the GOP caucus. And now it seems like he's abandoned all of that. They're agreeing, uh, at least in principle, to this framework that's been talked about that that uh, marginally cuts spending, but also provides a two year debt extension and largely keeps Joe Biden's budget intact. It, it would be hard to frame that as anything but a total route for Kevin McCarthy. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Do you? I do. I actually believe one of the things that has made this so strong for Joe Biden is he really internalized the lesson of 2011 when when President Obama got burned on negotiating with Republicans. And he's been staunch from the beginning that that he's not going to entertain this kind of theatrics, that Kevin McCarthy is going to have to go back and find something that works and be a serious partner. And he's constrained, of course, by the Freedom Caucus. But I see now that Kevin McCarthy's support appears to be dissolving. And now you have Republicans who are asking for exceptions for their pet industries That's or the right. places in, in districts they represent. And once your your block starts negotiating for its own interest, you rapidly lose your position. Yeah, it's interesting. A growing number of conservatives, including some in the House Freedom Caucus, have begun to sound an alarm over what they say are, are leaked details about what has been taking shape behind closed doors. In the midst of all of this, though, the Fitch ratings warnings that America's AAA rating is on watch negative. Uh, S&P downgraded our credit rating for the first time during the 2011 debt crisis, not because we missed a payment, but because of the political dysfunction. And now 12 years later, S&P still has not given us our AAA rating. Um, and the former S&P ratings committee chair, John Chambers, just said today he thinks this is much worse because of the political instability after January 6th. The debt burden's a lot higher than in 2011. And how can you forge a realistic path to default in just a week? Well, it certainly is going to test the ability of Joe Biden to deliver, as he's promised he would, competent government that can actually work. The benefit is he has a really strong team. These are experts not only on the numbers, but also at the relationship aspect of the work. And it seems like it's working. I mean, we've seen the Republican side soften significantly. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a very different scenario. It is certainly more polarized than ever. But it's also one of the only times in memory that the GOP has moved forward with this kind of standoff without having unification within their caucus. And whenever people are divided like that, it, it's easier for Joe Biden or any president to chip away that support. And when you're Kevin McCarthy, you're not the greatest strategist to begin with. <laughs> I know. And Kevin McCarthy, I mean, I know it's all about just keeping his job, but I mean, at this point, the U.S. Treasury's cash balance is down to forty nine and a half billion. There's there's 17 Americans on the Bloomberg Billionaires Index that have a higher net worth than the U.S. Treasury right now. And the week began with us hearing Joe Biden was telling the Democrats on Capitol Hill there's not going to be any 14th Amendment action on anything. Just drop that talking point right now. As the week crested, uh, we began to see uh, progressives and Democrats getting together and making a lot of noise about this, really angry at the possibility he might offer some major concessions without their input. They had a big caucus meeting. Do you think that Biden is sensitive to this and aware of this and even afraid of this? I do think he's aware of it. I think the path he's writing here with Kevin McCarthy is essentially saying toss both the Freedom Caucus 
and the left in the Democratic Party off the table and negotiate with those that center group that's willing to talk. And that's yeah. certainly not gone over well for progressives who have stuck their neck out multiple times for the Biden administration during this term and yet always seem to be the first ones cut from any negotiations. But for now, it seems at least Democrats really, really, as they should, do not want the government to default. And right now, if if all we're going to see is a two year deal in exchange for taking back 10 billion of the 80 billion that Biden gave the IRS, I mean, that's a deal you take 10 times out of 10. It's a big win. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Let me ask you about this Ken Paxton drama that's happening down in Texas. We talked about it briefly last night. You know, it's very like, like Democrats. I always say Democrats eject their own, Republicans reelect their own when it comes to criminals and malfeasance, right? If you're a Democrat, you're accused of anything, you're out. That's it. We don't care. Me too. You're gone. No investigation. You're out. Uh, Republicans, of course, will always circle the wagons and protect their own. Um, we can debate the merits of both sides here, but I was very shocked to see Ken Paxton, of all people, calling for a fellow Republicans ouster in the Texas legislature, especially because Ken Paxton's under quite a few investigations himself. What's what's going on down there? And is it really just about someone being a drunken public? Well, this situation is so interesting because Republicans in Texas is probably one of the places where Republicans have come closest to actually establishing their sort of monarchical one party ideal state. It's a Republican supermajorities. Republicans run everything. There's not a viable Democratic resistance. And they've really been able to run the show however they've wanted. And just like with Rome and other one-party states, the challenge is things start to rot from within. People start to get sloppy. The corruption gets so public that it becomes a disgrace to the body as a whole. And what we've seen now is is Ken Paxton, who's had many, many lawsuits and legal troubles, trying to enforce his political pressure on opponents. And in response now, the Republican legislature has passed yeah. 20 charges impeaching him. 20 and the articles have, of impeachment. Have, and th- 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 the Republicans yeah. did this to Ken Paxton, who we've been screaming about here on the left for years now. The Republicans in his own legislature. I, I did not see the week ending this way. It is like in its way, very Game of Thronesy. It's so cutthroat. I mean, the, the accountability is so scant in a place like Texas that the remedies for misconduct have to be severe there. You can't just censure someone. You have to throw them out and potentially put them in jail to keep them away from power. And that's what's happening with Ken Paxton now. And I mean, the charges are sweeping. If you look at them, it's everything from bribery to yeah. securities fraud to uh, lying and trying to mislead investigators. Uh, And and some of these are new allegations. Some of them are things that have been rumored or that Ken Paxton has admitted to in the past. But it it now seems like the Republican Party there is really taking steps to try and ax him now that he's weak. Fascinating. I mean, and is it just a coincidence that the week began with Ken Paxton wanting the House Speaker to resign because the guy was drunk at work? I mean, like, is it just a coincidence that that we we see first Ken Paxton turn on a fellow Republican and then by the end of the week, all the Republicans turn on Ken Paxton? 
I mean, I mean, let's get one thing straight. It has nothing at all to do with ethics. None of these people grew a conscience last night. This is the fact that Ken Paxton's attorney general spots a powerful job. He's made a lot of enemies. He certainly swung his power around and mm. his, his closeness to Greg Abbott. That's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Now, it's certainly helpful that he actually did appear to commit many of these crimes uh, <laughs> and, and essentially set himself up for that fall. But this is in many ways a very personal thing. It's a reason we've seen George P. Bush as one of the leading spokespeople of this. So someone who has been historically wronged by Ken Paxton. Uh, it's it's a fascinating palace politics. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just I'm still so hung up on the drunk guy. I'm sorry, the Speaker of the House in Texas. It just seems like Ken Paxton knew this was coming and decided to make a big noise trying to get someone else fired to draw fire away from him. Yeah, I mean, this is what Donald Trump always threatened to do to people who crossed him is Ken Paxton is right. just dumping out all of the opposition he spent his career collecting. And Ken Paxton, you know, didn't act alone. You don't commit this scope of crimes you don't use state resources to support your political allies for years, as these allegations show, by yourself. There are many people who are tied up in this who are now trying to distance themselves from Ken Paxton. And all I can say is this is terrible for Texas, but amazing for Democrats who can now run on a clear anti-corruption message and That's say, it. is this really how you want to be governed? make Texas purple again. Uh, Mr. Burns, I'd, I'd be most remiss if I didn't ask your thoughts on uh, the many, many sides of Ron DeSantis. Um, to say nothing of his uh, announcement this week on a far-right propaganda site Twitter. Um, how, do, how do you feel Ronald's doing this week? Uh, is he scaring Trump as much as it appears? I think it is incredible five-dimensional chess that Ron DeSantis, who criticized Joe Biden in 2020 for campaigning from his basement is now campaigning for president from his basement so and funny. not even particularly well. I mean, I spoke to a Republican strategist who said that the goal of this announcement was two things to build excitement and to shake the tree by which they mean donors. Ron has lost two mega donors in two months. He's met yeah. with three more who were not impressed with him and they need some big money here. And That's what's it. clear from this is it did not achieve that fascinating i mean it really was a debacle in so many ways but i've come, become convinced that ron DeSantis's whole idea here is he knows trump's going to get indicted again he knows fonnie willis is going to do it he knows jack smith this stuff with evan corcoran trump's lawyer and the, hiding the documents all over mar-a-lago and now jack smith has the whole timeline it it really seems like both ron DeSantis and donald trump know and more indictments are coming and that's guiding both of their behaviors for sure. But it is just bizarre to me as a strategist, what informed DeSantis's thinking about his launch. It, and I Tell say me, this, yeah, not I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. You're I mean, are, are they really trying to ask like all the Fox viewers to get their grandkids to teach them how the VCR can tape Twitter? I don't understand why he did this. No, it baffles me because, I mean, speaking not even as, as a Republican, but for any candidate, your goal of your presidential announcement is to to make your case to as many people as possible. They see your face. They hear your values. The last thing you want to do is choose a platform where there's no video. It's never been tested for a launch this size. It's hard to get to. I mean, even veteran Twitter users had to look up how to access this. I know. I did. Uh, to the point that Fox News was mocking it. During the during the event, saying if you actually want to see Ron DeSantis tonight, 
tune into Fox later. I mean, <laughs> everything about it sounded amateurish and portrayed him as as small and incompetent. And that's exactly not the image he needed to project. Max Burns, it is always a great pleasure to have you with us, especially here in the wee small hours. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with all your work? You can follow me on Twitter at the Max Burns or check me out on Substack. It's maxburns.substack.com. And Max, remember, don't worry, Ronna McDaniel said a possible U.S. default would be very good for the Republican field. So I guess it'll be fun to watch. Thank you so much for joining us. As long as it's good for them. (laughs) We got to go. This is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace. Thank you.